As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Road trip ends with a bit of a thud. The Canucks are going to be back home starting one of the great weeks in franchise history as the Sedin's jerseys will be raised to the rafters next week. Before then, though, uh, a few hockey games and uh, certainly a bunch of games to look back on at the conclusion of a road trip that started with such promised answer and then fell flat uh, with the shutout loss in Boston, and uh, they followed that up with the 4-2 setback at the hands of the Minnesota Wild. So it looked good when they were 2-0-1 to start, but uh, I thought on Thursday night at XL Energy Center, the Vancouver Canucks looked every bit the part of a team at the tail end of a road trip, and of course on top of that, the news that they were without their superstar. Yeah, and it's so weird how sequencing works, right? Because if they'd gone if they'd won one lost one tied one lost one won one everyone would be saying good road trip you know five of ten points that's exactly what they needed to do to sort of keep pace as the pacific division leader and and that is what they accomplished on this road trip you know i think where maybe some concern begins to seep in is we've now seen in consecutive games jacob markstrom get beat for four goals so eight goals over two games and he's been excellent in both games you know, that's a problem. You know, when when your goaltender stops 15 grade A chances across two games and still gives up eight in 120 minutes, I mean, that's not good enough. That's on the club defensively, and that's a problem that's not new, right? That's a problem that's gone on all season and something they really need to fix, I think, whether, you know, the Pedersen news, and we, and we got to spend some time on that, that's obviously going to limit their margin for error further, but this is sort of what happens if you don't have that structure to fall back on and, and defensively at least to this point in the season, you know, that's sort of the only glaring flaw in this team that I think sort of risks ruining this exceeds expectations narrative that they've enjoyed to this point. Uh, 
it's just they're surrendering way too much, Jeff. And I would take it even further back when, you know, I mean, you always hear that it's a 3-2 league. I mean, offense is up this year, so maybe it's a 3.5 to 2.5 league. <laughs> but, you know, they give up three on the island. They give up three in Raleigh. Then they give up four in Boston. They give up four in Minnesota. It is difficult to win more nights than not when you're giving up that kind of offense. So uh, they've been good defensively. They've had great goaltending. Uh, they've had spread scoring, and that disappeared too. And obviously, you take Elias Pettersson out of the mix, I think there's probably a psychological element to it, especially the way it played out. You know, I mean, give the Canucks credit. They did a masterful job of hiding the fact that their superstar wasn't going to be available uh, for the game against Minnesota. He practiced on Wednesday. He wasn't part of the optional skate, but that wasn't a big deal. There were lots of guys that didn't take part in the optional skate on game day. He was out there. He took line rushes in the warm-up. I mean, it all started to look like he was going to play, although I'll give you some credit. Uh, you had the eagle eye out there, and maybe the spidey senses were up that, you know, something was down. I mean, we know, obviously, I mean, Pedersen told us himself in his own words that, you know, he suffered a bruise. We don't know where, but we do know when. And obviously it was uh, the Grizzly hit uh, on Boston. And we're going to get into Travis Green and his response to that and sort of the way, just the week that was for Travis Green as well. We'll come back to that a little later in the podcast. But, uh, you know, just interesting kind of, the, I'm always fascinated by the way these types of things shake down. Phenomenally calculated, too, when you consider that, Pedersen left the ice relatively early for practice, which is highly unusual, right? Pedersen is almost always among the last out there, you know, just doing skills work and also because I think to be as good as Pedersen and to be as driven as Pedersen, you need to like being out on the ice. So I think he's happiest to spend as much time there. I think that comes naturally to him. But he was off early and his gear was hung up in the stall by the time the room opened and we never saw him before he was available and he was available after Travis, after the room. Now, the Canucks never at any point said, nor did they have to, that he was in treatment. But looking back on it, you know, that probably should have raised a bigger red flag with me than it did. I honestly thought that it was just calculated because they wanted to be deliberate in how they messaged things in the wake of the Greslick hit and how that was being received in Vancouver. Fast forward to today, an optional skate. And, and when you think about the staggering of this too, this was a decision that impacted everyone, right? Like everyone on the team, they sort of built, it seems, a game day around Pedersen's status, essentially. So you hold the optional skate. You know, Pedersen's not out on the ice. No big deal. Don't really have to make him available because he didn't skate. Easy to sort of excuse that one. And then he takes rushes. And, you know, I was with John Shorthouse, and we noticed that rushes were a little bit off. Like we thought the lines were a little harder to read than usual and that kind of got my spidey senses tingling and then you know as any VIPs know I'm a student of Canucks warm-ups and we saw Travis Green come out and Travis Green chatted with a trainer which Travis Green if he does come out he usually comes out to just like look around and he chatted with the trainer and then he sort of watched for a bit and then he left and I and you know, I thought that was pretty unusual, so we started watching the bench pretty closely. And Pedersen came over and had a long conversation with that trainer. Uh, Shorty directed Sportsnet cameras to look at it, and I was standing beside him with the ISO cam, so I had a little bit of an advantage. Like, it wasn't just my eagle eye. I had a camera focused on it, which was fortunate. And PD left the ice not 
too sh- briefly like it, he didn't leave the ice immediately he went back but he just didn't look very active during morning skate so or during the warm-up skate so i figured look I can, I can put this out there there's no sense there should be no sensitivity to what i can see publicly and and i think i framed it cautiously but that was sort of when you know my spidey senses began to be up and i think at that point everyone's just refreshing the roster report on nhl.com right and turns out he was out and the canucks sort of scooped that a little bit uh, from their twitter feed and look, I think they're in playoff form in terms of disguising a lineup because it wasn't just green among the head coaches out on the bench. Boudreaux was too. And Boudreaux's whole body was twisted toward the Canucks end. Like he didn't watch a second of any of his players warm up skate. And, and this sometimes happens where, you know, it's pretty customary in the NHL for teams lineups to be known. In the event that they're not, it's pretty customary for rights holders to know the lineups and to swap it between rights holders. And when a coach really wants to keep things tight to the vest, they don't tell their rights holders. Like the radio guys don't know and on and on. And that that was kind of the case today. And to the point where I think Boudreaux was sort of signaling like, hey, come on, man. It's, you know, it's game 55 in Minnesota. Like we're not even division rivals. Um, but obviously Green had his reasons. They turned out to be significant ones. You know, the update on Pedersen is simply day-to-day. We're up day-to-day lower. No, we don't know anything other than that. Um, you know, it makes it that much more appalling that it wasn't a, a penalty called, even though it shouldn't have been more than a minor penalty anyway. But, you know, and, and I do think the last sort of key takeaway here is McEwen and Vertanen both fight. The Canucks went into this game among six teams in the NHL with only four ma- fighting majors on the season. So this is a team that does not fight much. And they essentially, you know, fought twice. So they've, they're now up to six. But, I mean, that shows you how rare it is, right? They added a third of their fights in one game, one of them coming immediately after a hit on Antoine Roussel. I think there was a clear directive that the expectations now are a little bit different. If the refs aren't going to protect our stars, we get, we have to protect each other. And, and I think that's something to watch going forward. Um, because, you know, there's no moral victories. Like, this is not that Anaheim game before the Hartley uh, torts fight, right? Like, there's no moral victories here. It's good that they competed and had a physical game, but, like, this is a team that needs points, and and that still needs to be the main focus, and, you know, just an unfortunate all-around situation. They may not be in the same division, Trancer, but they will always be rivals. (laughs) No, I'm not going to try and sell that to anybody. But let me backtrack to just something you said after practice yesterday, as we waited, I was sort of on an island thinking that, you know, this is the aftermath. This is, BD wasn't available in Boston. Mm-hmm. Everybody else, it seemed, was. And then Travis went off and said what he said. But we didn't have access to Elias Pettersson after the Bruins game. So practice in Minnesota was the first time I was on this island thinking they weren't going to make him available. And then he had left the building as we were waiting. And then I think he did a masterful job of disarming all of us by coming out, answering questions, answering them honestly, right. and there was no visible sign of discomfort or anything nope. else. And again, I think that kind of you know took us off the trail a little bit that there was anything wrong with him. And then that brought us to, uh, to game time in Minnesota. And obviously they're a different team without him. Any team is going to miss their best player and leading scorer. And, uh, you know, and again, I, I just think... For some of the players, they probably knew it was a possibility, but at the same time, once it's official, that's got to be somewhat psychologically damaging, knowing that this group that got shut out in Boston now has to respond 
minus its best player. And again, I thought the Canucks looked like a team that was at the tail end of a road trip and, you know, showed a little bit once. JT Miller scored the second half of the second period. They were all right, but they couldn't get the goal they needed to make it a one-goal game. And ultimately, uh, the Wild win it. And uh, the Canucks limp home with losses in three straight for the first time since before this run began. Got to go back to the middle of December to find the last time the Canucks dropped three in a row. But let's go back to... To Tuesday night in Boston, because we recorded on Monday ahead of the game against the Bruins, and I think we were looking forward to a good matchup and a test for the Vancouver Canucks. And, you know, people in Vancouver don't want to hear it, but damn, the Bruins are impressive. Uh, they gave the Canucks nothing. I mean, you know, the fact that the Canucks got shut out, uh, not a huge surprise given the way that the Bruins played, but obviously the story there was what happened on the hit and then the fallout afterwards. So let's go back to the first couple of minutes of the game. Uh, Elias Pettersson telling us afterwards that, you know, he didn't like it. He didn't think he was ready to get hit. He was kind of caught uh, in a vulnerable position, obviously injured enough. He finished that game, uh, but wasn't able to go in Minnesota. And, you know, I know that there has been this fallout back home in Vancouver about pushback and protecting stars. I'm sort of wrestling with whether I have changed my view on the incident itself because it cost Pedersen a game and possibly cost the Canucks an opportunity to pull out a win at the tail end of the road trip. Bottom line is, you know, protecting Pedersen hadn't been an issue all season long. Like people weren't howling uh, that the Canucks had to stand up for Elias Pedersen. We heard it against the, the Mike Matheson situation and a little bit about, you know, Cock and the Emmy last year in Montreal. But this year, that really hadn't been a storyline. And so, you know, for me, I still feel that it was an issue between the Canucks and the officials and that they flat out missed a call that there was interference. It was late. He wasn't ready for it. Play should have been whistled. Greslick should have been given a penalty, but I don't know that I needed vigilante justice from the Vancouver Canucks in that moment. Now you do wonder with the Bruins coming to town uh, in Vancouver, February 22nd, like maybe that does change the narrative a little bit, but uh, for me, it wasn't about the Canucks having to push back necessarily against the Bruins to send a message. It was that the guys in stripes flat out fucked up. Yeah, and and they've been perhaps not giving Pedersen the benefit of the doubt that he needs to be getting, especially over the last 27 games when he's drawn half as many penalties as he did the first 27 games. Like, w there's obviously something that's gone on there. Pedersen himself brought up, you know, the idea of reputation and on and on, and you know, I just think that this is an this is a league that consistently has warped priorities on this thing, right? Where, you know, the idea of a star player having to because perhaps they've sold a call or two in the view of the officials, they play almost with a different set of rules or a different standard than other star players or than that player did in the first 27 before they did whatever it was that resulted in you know this sort of shutdown of of whistles being blown you know when you compare that to the nba and what they did to their smaller guards with the hand checking rules and the way that star players get free throws and the nfl and the space that your Brady's and your Mahone's are, are provided so that they can be the difference makers in the game. And then you look at the NHL and the NHL just doesn't seem to value creating an environment where the best, most exciting players, the players everyone comes to the rink to see or tunes in to watch 
are afforded the same level of respect in terms of uh, being enable to have a decisive income outcome sorry a decisive impact on outcomes and I, I mean that's just got to be frustrating it's bad for the league it's bad for business it's bad for the product certainly bad for a Canucks team that's only just beginning to re-engage uh, the Vancouver marketplace and and you know I just think it's nuts like I just think it's nuts and I also think it's nuts because all of a sudden you've got a guy like McEwen who's probably deserved a, a look at the NHL in the at the NHL level on his own merits sort of you know almost put into a spot where there's different expectations. He's not just in here to play and provide energy and bring size and play a decent two-way game. There's an expectation that he's going to do a little more, and, and that's not fair to anybody. I mean, it just creates this these questions and these storylines that are so besides the point and so much less interesting to me than the story of can the Canucks continue to exceed expectations with this exciting, fast, young team that – people in Vancouver are excited about and want to watch play up-tempo offensive hockey. Like, that's the story, and anything that detracts from it is a failure of product marketing on the part of the NHL. As I said off the top, want to spend some time, and essentially the rest of the podcast, just looking at the week that was for Travis Green, and we'll start in the immediate aftermath in Boston, because... You know, I mean, that's as visceral a reaction as we've seen from him this season. You weren't on the road in the game in San Jose before Christmas when they lost to the Sharks. Played reasonably well, but lost to the Sharks. They fell behind and couldn't claw their way back and then lost in Vegas and then came home and lost to Montreal. That was mid-December. That was the last time they've lost three in a row. And he was visibly agitated in San Jose. And I tried to sort of get to the bottom of why that one aided him compared to others in the post-game scrum. I asked that question a couple of times. He didn't seem to want to play an awful lot there, but it was just, it was clear. I mean, look, I'm in his face every day, twice a day on game days generally. You know, I think I've got a pretty good read on him and his habits and when he's willing to stand in there and ask er, answer questions. And sometimes you can get a pretty early tell that, you know, he doesn't want any part of it. And that night uh, he was frustrated. His team lost and maybe he knew that, You know, that was one they had to have because they were up against it going into Vegas on back-to-backs. And whatever the case, that one stood out for me until Boston where uh, he emptied his chamber of frustration. And I thought his timing was pretty good. Like, they get bleached by the Bruins. It takes the pressure off the players who weren't very good. You know, it was their first bad game since the two-game stint in Florida. You know, I I thought from the coach's handbook, I mean, he played you know a full house like he he had that card I think he had been sitting on it you know there have been other times where I think he probably felt pretty strongly that Pedersen deserved calls that he didn't get but when you're winning maybe it sounds like sour grapes if you know instead of praising your team you're bitching about the officials whatever it all came to a head in Boston there the other day and again I, I thought the timing was right and I thought the way he handled it was was pretty good absolutely you'd the only thing I do wonder looking back on it is whether he had a sense that Pedersen might be dinged up and if that sort of added to his anger and frustration about it. You know, I thought it was a pretty good speech, and I think I I thought he delivered it well. I thought he was clear, uh, and I thought that he was right. You know, like going to the splits and seeing that the data backed him up immediately, right, made it that much more compelling to me. And so, you know, I think it was good. I thought Matt Sakaris's column about 
Green sort of putting his stamp on the team, maybe feeling a little more secure based on the run that the team has gone on this season and, and feeling like it was time that he could, you know, sort of drop his usual composed uh, sort of facade and, and kind of, you know, express a real opinion. I, I thought that was interesting, and I think it's interesting to me what it also reveals about Travis in the longer larger context, which is, you know, I, I mean, personally, I've found him to be pretty easy to work with. I think he's got a sense of humor, and I always have time for anyone with a sense of humor. But I also think he's extremely deliberate, extremely guarded, uh, not just with information, as we saw over the past 48 hours, but with himself, right? You, you know, you think about his three years in Vancouver. Who's written the Travis Green feature, right? Who's... He's never really the story, right? There's not a ton of video. He doesn't seem to sit down with people for those Hockey Night in Canada things. We know he cares about causes. We know he does a lot of good things behind the scenes. He's never done it for PR. He's never done it with cameras or a scribe embedded or anything like that. He's always been pretty inscrutable, I think, in terms of his delivery, in terms of his control of information and in terms of his willingness to share himself with the media and also with Canucks fans and look I think it's worked for him I mean I think he's weathered some pretty tough days in Vancouver with his Q rating intact which is not a simple task but you know I think it was interesting for a guy who's carried himself in that manner throughout his time in Vancouver to choose that moment choose that issue and kind of unload uh, as he did earlier this week it's funny like for people in like my circle of friends that obviously know what i do you know the one question i always get is like do you and travis green get along like i get that question all the time (laughs) and like do we spar at times sure i mean that's small s spar i don't think we've ever had it out i mean i can't speak for him I've always said, like, I enjoy my dealings with him. And I think people have to understand, too, that, you know, a big part of the job that I do, I'm at every game, home and away. On game day, there are two availabilities. Like, I'm in his face. I, I get that. Like, I understand. It's a totally delicate dance, and I completely understand the rules of engagement. I think he does, too. But... I always think, look, I've got access that fans would kill to have. I'm just trying to ask questions to glean info that I think the fans want. He's the gatekeeper. He will reveal what he chooses to reveal. And I think we saw a really good example of that here in Minnesota. And now looking back, like things make sense. We kind of went through the Pedersen's you know, availability. Uh, Travis Green, after a morning skate, he wasn't on the ice, <laughs> and he came out to meet the media. First question was about his lineup, and he said, you're going to have to come to the game and watch warm-up. And I think in his mind, that sort of answered everything, that in you know his way of thinking, there were no questions to follow, that he had just told us everything that he felt he needed to tell us. And that's fine. Again, he's the gatekeeper, but... You know, my job is to get information, to get answers. And, you know, so I tried to come at him in a couple of different ways with a few other questions around the lineup, pertaining to the lineup. And he knew what I was doing. 
and he just he wasn't gonna play today wasn't a day that he was gonna play i liked the one the reformulation where you asked him if if he was still considering changes and then he's like no i'm not considering it um i thought that was good that was when he started to actually get frustrated and that's always my favorite moment in the scrum anyway i i get that from the guys back at the station like they can't get enough of <laughs> of sort of the the combat yeah you know the combative nature uh, again, like I'm not there to badger him, you know. It's like people have Brooksy and Torts. It's not like I don't no. see it that at all. I just look. My company sends me out on the road to follow this team and to collect audio. It's radio. It's a you know, it's a, a medium that requires audio. And so um, I just came at him in a couple of different ways, try to get answers. Again, he wasn't ready to engage. But now, as I look back. You know, I, I realized sort of how careful and guarded he had to be, right? Like, right. he had to be on his game to ensure that nothing slipped. Otherwise, we would have got what is one of the biggest stories of the season at this point, that Elias Pettersson wasn't available to his hockey club. Yeah, and, you know, I think there's so much going on, right? Because I think Travis, to his credit, right, I mean, he could have come out and said and lied, right? He wasn't going to do that. So to his credit, I think he understood that there is a thing that matters to us, which is credibility, and it actually matters a lot more to us than pleasantness, you know? And I think that's important because I think that that when, you know, like when you and I show up at the rink this morning and we say, you know, it's been six days since they said Michael Furland was going to Utica, like, we better ask about that today, you know? And we know one of us is going to. Like, there's a, I think it's the same thing that we go through where it's like, we have to there's questions that have to be asked if we're doing our jobs right you know and, and for him there's certain standards i don't think he wanted to lie to us and so i appreciate that that said you know he spoke for 90 seconds and you can't write anything off that you can't file that really to the radio station i mean the only thing there of substance for TSN 1040, you know, our, our, our mutual employer, albeit mine on a sort of more freelance basis, is that you and him sparred in it. Like, that's the only value. Like, just say a couple full sentences, you know? If you, if you ask, are you still considering things? I'm not, but just, and then go and say, give us three complete sentences about your team in general. Don't even, just answer the question you want to answer. Don't answer the question asked if you, if you need to do it, but but, but do something because, you know, it got to the point where he non-answered a lineup question four times. And so I asked him a hypothetical about what Bailey and, and McEwen could bring to the lineup. And by the time I'm doing that, I'm kind of just messing with him, right? I'm just like, if we're not going to get real answers, we're not going to ask real questions, you know? And, and that's sort of where I got to in that scrum. And, you know, that's uh, I don't think that's helpful for anyone, but I just feel like there's those moments where it's important to sort of give it back. Well, it's funny too, in hindsight, that, and again, out on the road, there are only four or five of us in the scrum. So it's not a huge scrum. It's really just a pretty informal uh, yeah, shooting yeah. the shit session, essentially, that's on the record. But we in the media all came at it from the perspective that, hey, there might be a lineup change meaning that either McEwen or Bailey would get in 
for Erickson or Schaller or, you know, somebody else that maybe hadn't been in effect. And, and the, here, like, he's sitting on this info that he knows at that point that Pedersen's probably not going to play, although he did take the warm-up to test it. But, you know, we didn't have that. We weren't armed with that knowledge in terms of the direction that the conversation was going anyhow. So, you know, that's just another layer sort of to the <laughs> cat and mouse game that we all played on Thursday morning. Yeah, it's an asymmetrical conversation, essentially, which is, you know, <laughs> which, I mean, people are used to having with six-year-olds, but not with other adults, which sort of creates this odd environment. Uh, but no, and look, I think the... <laughs> my overall takeaway from from it is fair game, and I actually give the Canucks a fair bit of compliments in terms of s relatively smoothly handling this and preventing a team from being able to game plan for their, you know, more limited version of the roster, which they iced at the XL Energy Center on Thursday night. Uh, you know, that's it's fun as a reporter too to to sort of deal with that situation. You know, wa watching warm ups with that Hawkeye. I mean, that's that's good. I, I you know, it's it's nice to have. Uh, you know, you you'd rather have Pedersen be healthy just because he's fun to watch. But you know, it's it's challenging, and and I think that's a good thing. But you know, also I think that there's there's just more that needs to be said. That's you know basic in those situations sometimes and, and especially for your purposes right and i think too like we're all in the same boat it's been a long road it's been a long road trip across the continent and halfway back and you know i think some of that plays into it again like in this guy's face day in day out and i make the point like you know i ask a lot of questions i do i mean again i've been granted access i, I and i i don't take that part for granted but over the course of a hockey season with an availability almost every day and two a day on game days you know i'm asking hundreds if not thousands of questions am i going to rub the guy the wrong way on occasion <laughs> sure as hell am uh and i get that i like i totally understand that and i don't do it to be a prick just sometimes the questions don't roll off the tongue or you know maybe they it doesn't come out the way it sort of is formulated in your head. Like, for me, one of the... the <laughs> well, okay, you can jump in. Cause no, we go... Well, first of all, I liked post-game. I watched the availability in the truck. I wasn't in the post-game scrum. But I liked post-game you saying... Uh, you, you drew out a mm-hmm. He gave you a mm-hmm in answer to one of your questions. I thought that was glorious. But I think we should go through, for the audience, like, the art of asking Green a question. Because we both do this, right? Like, I think... We both ask him a lot of questions, uh, certainly the most among people who aren't Brendan Batchelor. And there's like this, there's a few outs that he will always take, right? He, he listens and he takes a few outs. And you kind of have to go through the objections sometimes before you get to what you actually want to know. And then by that point, occasionally you've talked for too long and he accuses you of having answered your own question. Yeah, like, look, no, I, I will absolutely admit that, like, he's in my head sometimes because you're trying to ask the ironclad question that he can't escape. There's no, you know, there's no trap door. There's no side door. Uh, you want to present a question that he has to answer directly, and he's listening so intently. And now, you know, this year, sort of as part of his defensive arsenal, uh, you know, he'll question the question and try to make sure he knows exactly what is being 
asked. And look, for me, part of the fun in all of this, as you mentioned, like there's a few of us. Uh, Kuz, when he's around, asks a lot of questions. BJ, you know, there's a, a bunch of us. But it's the way each of us sort of formulate <laughs> the question. <laughs> and through the objections. Yeah, and, and just like try to get it. Some days you're in a total rhythm. Like some days you're sharp and on your game. And look, I'll admit that there are days that I sort of talk myself in circles. And I can understand if he's standing there at the podium, just, you know, just get to the – <laughs> just get to the question but but like one one example is the lowest level objection that travis will get to is the it's a hard league like uh, uh, it's a hard league right that's sort of how he starts the answer and then he just goes on about how uh ideally it's some nights you play well and you lose four two some nights you play badly and you win two one three two and he'll sort of list different scores that you could lose by if you if you played well. So that's one way that he... So then you start asking questions that begin with, Travis, we know it's a hard lead, hard league, but, right? And then, But then he's got other sort of higher level objections, right? That are things like, I'm not going to criticize my young players on the power play, right? So then you're, you want to ask a question about how a power play could have made a difference in a tight game. So it becomes, Travis, we know it's a tough league, and you're not going to talk too much negatively about your young players on the power play, but, right? And, but then there's always sort of this other layer that you have to navigate around, and you're just trying to sort of, like, move your pawns, build a pawn wall, so that you can, like, attack horizontally or diagonally with your bishops and on and on. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny, but it's also uh, it takes a lot of effort. <laughs> Right, and, and that's what I said. Like, you're trying to come up with this, like, ironclad question that there is just no escape route from. And then a lot of times he'll give you the, like, I'm not going to get into tactics or... <laughs> but the whole question is about tactics. And, again, it's sort of this, like, how much is he willing to spill? Like, how far to the middle is he willing to go? And so, absolutely, like, on some level... It's hilarious. Yeah, no, it is, and and I hope I hope he feels that way too. And no as he listens to this podcast, yes. and his people around him oh, listen to this I podcast was, as well. I was thinking about you know Travis on his burner account, right? Looking at all of us being like McEwen's on the ice, but so is everyone else, right? Like he must have loved that because there's no question that he's consumes a lot of media too, right? So I, I think the I mean, it's funny. It is funny. I think there's no way that he doesn't find it funny. And, and I think he picks – I think there's a lot that's calculated in terms of who he messes with, what questions he answers. And that's why, you know, you show up and one on one of those days when the, when the going is good, you know, I, I just keep asking questions, right? I'm just like, okay, well, I might need this in two weeks, so I'm just going to keep going uh, until, uh, until he's punched out. There is a sense sometimes that – he might be a little vindictive if he doesn't like something that you have written or something that's been said. You know, the next day when you show up for question period, it does feel like maybe he's a little shorter <laughs> on some days than on others. Wow. Do you get that well, feeling? You got a mm-hmm today. Well, <laughs> I mean, should I wear that as a badge of honor, or I, I was that so. a was that a fallout from earlier in the day? I think that was fallout from earlier in the day. Hundred percent, right? It was a fair question. I don't think there was anything about it that stood out except that it got a mm-hmm, which I just, I mean, that's, that's reserved. That's, that's as short as it gets. That's fantastic. Well, I think it just as we wrap up 
this version of the Van Cast, and we may have to revisit. <laughs> we may have to give him equal opportunity. He may want to come. Travis, if you want to come on the Van Cast. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I think the invitation should always be there. Man, I mean, I sure. The invitation, I suppose, is there, but then the whole podcast is going to be me saying, Travis, we know it's a hard league, and you don't want to discuss or criticize your young players, and you don't talk tactics, and you're not going to talk about your goaltender three days out from a game, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so I just don't know if it'll be a good listen. Okay, then I think we got to finish up with <laughs> the way that you know... This is the surest tell of all. What Travis Green thinks of your question is the length of the sigh oh, yeah. that prefaces his answer. And I don't even know if he's aware of it. Like, we all have little sort of idiosyncrasies and, uh, you know, crutches that we lean on. And again, this guy stands at the podium and faces a bunch of questions. And sometimes I don't even hear it until I listen back to the audio. But... So often, an answer starts with a... <sighs> <laughs> I actually think you get good answers when it's a low... Huh. Yeah, I, I, but I think, I think where you get the most generic ones are the high, like, eh. <laughs> that's when I think you get a pretty generic answer. And then there's the, hmm. And that's where you usually get a thoughtful answer. Those are my sort of three basic ones, but there's definitely, like, so much nonverbal communication going on. And, and look, that makes sense, because... We're talking about someone who communicates for a living, right? That is everything for a coach. And, and we know from speaking to Travis generally that that sort of his priority and everything he does is communication. And, and I suspect that if he's not aware of it, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't know if he's aware of it or not. I'd be very curious to, to – maybe we should have him on the VanCast just to ask him that question. But I, I think if he's not aware of it, it's still deployed – to communicate something, even if it is subconscious. All right, as we wrap up, just going to be an amazing week in Vancouver. Oh. Uh, one of the great weeks in franchise history. Like, forget about the season, when you think of what Daniel and Henrik did, what they meant, what they continue to mean. And I, I love the fact, like, I, I think the Canucks absolutely nailed it with a week in their honor, not just a night. Uh, these guys, you know, Two absolute legends on and off the ice, and uh, really looking forward to Sedine Week. And obviously, we'll have our two podcasts, so we'll have one before the jerseys go to the rafters. We'll be able to look back on it uh, as well, and uh, just I, I think it's going to be a ton of fun. Spent a lot of time watching Sedine shifts over the past couple of weeks, especially, and they are hilarious. It's so funny to watch them play hockey in retrospect. The things that they did routinely, the way that they pulled a puck going really fast off of the wall, turned away from pressure, and sent a hard backhand. Like a hard backhand harder than 95% of NHL players can send a forehand pass through defensive coverage and found someone open. You know, it would it, the puck would seem to slow before it hit their blade and always land flat. You know, it's silly. It's silly to go back and watch what they did. They were the most unique players, and they scored some of the most unique goals I've ever seen in, you know, my 32 years of watching hockey. In addition to that, they are even better people. 
I've been talking to a lot of their former teammates, and obviously I'll have a ton of stuff next week at The Athletic. And one of my favorite Sedin anecdotes that has been echoed by a few people and that I'd never really heard, but until I started sort of picking at it, was you could tell when they, they never had a bad day. They were consistent. They always showed up in a good mood. You knew that they were mad if they were in the gym lifting weights and speaking Swedish to one another. And that was when teammates would sort of give them a wide berth. So even if they were mad, they were like professional and improving. And I think that's just perfect. I loved that. I can't wait to get into all of it uh, over, uh, over the course of next week. And I think it's going to be a pretty memorable week for the franchise and, and for the city. little tease, just because I know your oral history of the Slay the Dragon goal got great run and reaction. And you talked to everybody you had to. Uh, to put that piece together, I know how much work you put in. Uh, I also know that one of the cool projects that you had the opportunity to do was sit down and watch game film with Daniel and Henrik, just the three of you in a room. I mean, what an opportunity. It's the highlight of my career. Like, I left on a high, right? I was so excited for a long, long time. Honestly, like, hours afterwards, I was just like, I can't believe I got to do that. That was so cool. And... You know, the piece will run next week, of course, and, and I'm really excited to to share it and to keep tweaking it and put it together. But the, you know, highlights include uh, Henrik Sedin walking through exactly how he got lucky on the uh, Antiniemi nutmeg pass, the pass he put through the pads. Uh, you know, we talk about the Dallas goal. I think they'll present some things about that, you know, <laughs> quadruple overtime winner that, that maybe will change people's perspective uh, on that goal in particular. And and really, though, it's a piece about chemistry. And, and twin brothers who played, as Trent Klatt, their first ever line mate, joked to me today, they played together <laughs> since the moment they were born, right? And he was like, the, those guys were on a line together for the moment they were born. But to have a whole lifetime playing on the same line with your brother. We've never seen anything like it in professional sports, any sport. And that level of chemistry allowed them to do some really special things. It's something they believe in. It's something they watch hockey now. And they watch a lot of hockey, I found out. And they admire about teams that play similarly, uh, teams like the Washington Capitals in particular. And I'm really excited to be able to lay out, you know, how they were built and the chemistry that made them special in a, in a piece that's really a video session with two of the most cerebral players in the history of the sport. I think it's going to be uh, pretty cool to share with the VIPs. Well, that deserves a, a sigh. <laughs> uh. Uh. <laughs> All right, let's leave it at that. Uh, that'll be the VanCast for Minnesota, the homestand, Sedin Week. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun as the Canucks continue to push towards the postseason here in the National Hockey League. For Drancers, J-Pat, thanks so much for listening to the VanCast here at The Athletic and theathletic.com.